Revelation chapter 22, as we go through this last chapter, we're truly learning, we're appreciating more and more the benefits that God has for his people when Christ is the revelation. This book started, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here we have in this last chapter the wonderful benefits of that position of seeing Christ as the revelation. Uh, we saw the benefits and the glory of the church in the last two chapters, uh, the blessings that God has given to the church, and in this passage of Scripture we have that continuing, but truly we see in this passage of Scripture, we see hear the Lord, we, uh, we have his final words to us in the canon. Uh, the Bible is being put together with this last book, the book of Revelation, uh, there is no one that knows exactly when the book of Revelation was written. Uh, between 60 and 90 A.D., it doesn't matter when a book is written. It's the content. Never base your theology on a date when something was written. Base it upon the Word, and then we'll have no difficulty, or less difficulty, I should say, we have gone through the first two verses of this chapter, and it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Now, it doesn't mean that in heaven there's going to be a literal flowing stream of water. It's figurative language. It's pictorial language for the blessings that we have in Christ and how pure salvation is from the Lord. Now, what he makes heaven like, he's going to do it, and everyone there is going to appreciate it. Nobody's going to be complaining about it. All the complainers are going to be somewhere else. But all the appreciators, grace appreciators, will be there. They'll appreciate grace. The only reason that there will be anybody there is because of free grace. No other reason in this world. So those who don't appreciate free grace, those that don't love God, they won't be there and there won't be a problem. And this... Uh, uh, there's proceeding out of the throne of God, every blessing that we ever shall receive, the headwaters is Christ. He is the first cause of all spiritual blessings. They don't start here and we back them up to him. They start there and he gives them to us. We're the recipients. We've never been the participants. We're only the recipients of the grace of God. And then it said in verse 2, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. And the tree of life has always been a picture of the wonderful characteristics and attributes, life-giving attributes of Christ. And he has his blessings upon his saints on this earth. He has his blessings on his saints in his presence. Uh, they're not different blessings. They're the same blessings. The only thing that they have that we don't have is their eyes are open to them much more than we have. We see through a glass darkly there. Uh, in spirit, they're able to see the full blessings of Christ. And in, in that day, when uh, we all meet together in that host, it will be a, an open understanding. We shall know as we are known. I don't understand that. I know what the words mean, and I'm anticipating that time when that will be a reality. It is uh, it's a tree of life, it bear twelve manner of fruits, and there are many things that could be said about that twelve manner of fruits, but we looked at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we noticed there that there are twelve blessings that God has given us in Christ Jesus. 
He hath chosen us in Him, and from there on it goes. Forgiveness of sin, uh, God's blessing upon us, and the fruits are not pears and apples. Uh, I remember my dad had an apple tree with, I think he had four or six different varieties of apples. That's not what it's talking about. The tree of life, the Lord Jesus, has uh, the blessings of His salvation given in every season uh, to us and throughout eternity. It will be the blessings of grace. And it tells us there, and the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Uh, it, that just shares with us, and as Brother Marvin spoke, and all gospel preachers speak about this, it's the first, it's the beginning of the gospel is ruined by the fall. This tells us that there is a sickness in the nations, and it must be healed by the blood of Christ. God's people will all admit that it was the blood of Christ that changed. It was the blood of Christ that cleansed them. And that's what we find here in the book of Revelation. He washed us and loosed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, that's what he does. That's what the Savior does. And he is a Savior that actually saves his people. He does not make us savable. He saves his people and saves them completely. And that's what we find here in this verse. And there shall be no more curse. There shall be no more curse. Now, uh, this afternoon I spent a little time plucking up some weeds in my garden. And, you know, most people, many people, just look at this no more curse as a time when we don't have to pull weeds. Well, that's far and away from what it really means. There, is, there shall be no more curse. At this present time, for the saints, there is no curse. We were cursed in the fall. The world was cursed in the fall. All creatures were cursed in the fall. Adam and Eve were cursed in the fall. But there is no more curse. We can, we can depend on this, that the redeemed ones are forgiven... They're saved sinners, and they shall not ever be cursed. That's what gives us the privilege of holding our head up and looking to Christ. We're not cursed. He has taken the curse. That's one of the passages that we will look at. He has taken our curse. And in taking our curse, He has put away sin. And where there is no sin, there is no judgment. And God's people will, from this point will never stand in judgment for sin. Either Christ paid it all, or we're going to pay it, and we have no hope under that. One sin will condemn us. Just one. If he took care of all but one, that's not a help. That just gives a false hope. But since he's taken care of every sin, of every one of his sheep, then there is no more curse. It has been put away. We have no more fear. Sin has been put away. The curse has been put away, as it tells us there. Christ has redeemed the church from the curse. The curse of the law. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. The Lord Jesus, in his wonderful ministry of redemption, has done it so exclusively that there is no more sin to be dealt with. Now, I've used this illustration, and I think I can again tonight. 
Well, I have a granddaughter present here. And sometimes she does some things that are not real pleasing. But she's my granddaughter and I, she's perfect in my eyes. <laughs> she's my granddaughter. She's perfect in my eyes. She doesn't do anything wrong. Now she'll tell me that she does, but, and that's the way we are by nature. God saves us. God regenerates us. We know what we are, but in the mind of God, all sin has been put away. In the purpose of God, all sin has been paid for. In the reality of God's eternal salvation, we'll not answer before his throne for any sin. If we have to, then he hasn't taken care of it all, and that's not salvation. That's, that's a terrible place. You're double jeopardy. If he paid for it, He's not going to make his people pay for it. Why do people have blindness? Why do people have disease? The fall? Why did that man that was born blind, why was he blind? His disciples said, who did sin? His mother or his parents or himself? And Jesus said, neither one caused this, but this is for the glory of God. That's why he... He healed him, and that was for the glory of God. So, God, God's punishment of sin was placed on Christ. You want to know how much sin cost? Go to the cross. We could never pay that. We owed a debt we couldn't pay like that. We could not pay it. But Jesus Christ, he did not owe a debt, and he paid the debt with his own blood and righteousness. So, here we are. No curse. I can tell the church, no curse. You have no curse. God's people have no curse. There is no judgment for sin. It's been paid for. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a tree, Roman, and it was for a very short period of time, and it's not, uh, as I said the other day, was it one with this way or was it one this way? That doesn't make any difference. I'm not arguing with anybody. Was it a stake or was it a cross? I'm not going to get into that. But he hung on a tree and hanging on a tree suspended between heaven and earth fulfilled the judgment of God upon a sinner. Notice this. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, I could put that in red. Uh, like, go over here to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the words that Christ gave the Apostle Paul to share with the church. This is the words of encouragement. When we follow after religion, when we follow after another gospel, we will not feel what we feel when God lets us know the curse is taken away. No longer. As it says here, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He was not a curse on his own. He was the Son of God. But he became a curse, made a curse for us. He was made unsavory for us. He was made odious for us. He was made unfavorable for us. 
we know that the Father in his death on the cross had could not look upon him. Why hast thou forsaken me? He was made, as we heard, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, but he was made that. Why? So he could take the curse. God gave him the curse. God gave Adam and Eve a curse in the Garden of Eden, cursed the ground for their sake. And it tells us, and we'll read a verse in a moment, the whole earth groaneth and travaileth under this curse. The curse of sin. And Jesus Christ, it is said, he hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That was symbolic of a people that were facing judgment for their own sin. Joshua brought that on. He hung them in a tree after he had them killed. They're cursed people. This is not salvation. This is a cursed people. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ hung on that cross and cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He had our curse on him. And as a result of that, he had all our curse on him. And as a result of that, he said, my people shall go free. They do not have this curse. It's They will not face this curse. They will not face God saying, depart. If they have Christ, they will hear welcome because he has taken care of the curse. And it is for now. Now, we'll really come to the reality of it when we meet him. But now, there's no more condemnation. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. There's no curse. Sin has been taken care of. And I can't emphasize enough, and, and very seldom that we even have a, a, a complete understanding of it, but all sin has been taken care of. The mind sin, the action sin, the heart sin, all sin has been taken care of. We sin, but it's taken care of. Now, that does not give. And Paul had to deal with this because we got a bunch of people on the side saying, well, hmm, that's going to give me the opportunity to sin. And Paul said, this does not give anybody. In fact, if you think that this gives you a license, there's a problem. This is an issue you have with God that you would take this now, God's people, we sin enough as it is. We sin more than we want to. But to know that there's no curse. And John was led by the Holy Spirit to says, There shall be no curse. There, now, presently, upon God's people, upon the church, there is no curse. Cursed is every one that hangeth in a tree. Where there is no sin, there is no cause for a curse. Christ has put away our sins as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea, thrown over the shoulder of God. Our sin has been put away. Would you turn with me for a couple of readings in the book of Romans along this line that God took care of. He cursed Adam by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles. He cursed and everything that transpired in the garden and just out of the garden as a result of the fall, Jesus Christ came and completely turned around. He took care of the curse. Curse was there. He took care of sin. Sin was there. He took care of a mind that could not think on God. A new mind I'll give them. He, 
took care of a heart that was made black because of sin, Adam's sin against God. He said, I'll give you a new heart. Everything that happened as a result of the fall on Adam and all of his children, Jesus Christ, as a result of the of his redemptive work, takes it and turns it around. Doesn't want our old heart? He gives us a new heart. Doesn't want our old mind? Gives us a new mind. He takes care of everything that transpired. The fall is so tremendous and so serious, but let us not forget that redemption is far greater. Oh, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It is far better, far greater, far superior. Took care of all the issues. And God was so satisfied that he welcomed his son back into glory, sit down at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And it is because of Christ that we have this. All right, Romans chapter 4. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 4 and there in verse 8. Romans chapter 4 and verse 8. We think about no curse. It's a, it's such a blessed thing, such a blessed consideration, such a blessed thought that in time and eternity, God has taken care of this issue. A curse means there's something between us and God. When there is no curse, there is no issue between God's people and God. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Romans chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Well, I can't, I can't, I just cannot underline blessed enough. Blessed is the man. Now, this is an Old Testament quote. Blessed is the man. Same salvation in the Old Testament. Same grace in the Old Testament. Same spirit in the Old Testament. Same sinners in the Old Testament. Spoke a different language, but they still had that angry language towards God. Will not have this one rule over us. Takes the grace of God to overcome that. And as a result, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Will not charge them with it. Will not put it upon them. He took care of it at the cross so completely that there, I like that illustration about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in a burning fiery furnace. I've come home from hunting camp and I've had to take my good wool coat to the cleaners because I've stood around a, a fire. Now you don't notice it out there. Well, that's just the way it is. But you bring it into, into culture. <laughs> you bring it into society. And you say, oh my goodness. i got to do something about that. Got, well, this, the, the redemptive work of Christ is so complete that God can't even smell the remains of sin. It is so paid for that there's not... I've, I've carried on a battle this year. You know, it, some weeds, if you don't just pull out every root, you're going to have... You go out there and it's still got some life in it. And you just work and work and finally you get it out and the next day you go out there and it's just wilted and you say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Well, that's the way God dealt with sin. He didn't leave a root of any sin left to be dealt with. The blood of Christ completely washes us from sin. That's why he can say to the church, today, tomorrow, yesterday, there is no curse. 
Rejoice in redemptive work of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus. Rejoice in His goodness. Rejoice in His grace. Rejoice, I say again, rejoice. There's no curse. He's taken care of it. You know, there was no curse for Abel. Christ hadn't even died yet. But the benefits and effects of the redemptive work of Christ was for him also. He could walk the short time he walked this earth under the blessing of no curse. No curse. I'll not stand on the left hand. I'll stand on the right hand. I'll not be told, depart. I'll be told, welcome. Because of Christ and because of his redemptive work. All right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. This book of Revelation is for us. It's a blessing for us. It's glory to us. Every time, like the book of Acts, every time there's an issue, the answer is Christ. Every time they're in trouble, the answer is Christ. Every time the apostles are in jail, the answer is Christ. Who lets them out? Who sets them free? And that's the Lord Jesus to his people. Peter's in prison. No man let him go. God opened the doors. God released him. That's the way it is with us. When it comes to sin, God opens the doors. God releases us. He's the one that takes us out into the, into the sunlight. We don't do it on our own. We are taken by the Lord Jesus. All right, Romans chapter 8, and there in verse 20. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, it says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I don't know how that strikes you, but as we approach uh, as we approach the Fourth of July, I appreciate the Fourth of July. Yeah, there are some people that said we're in enough tyranny, enough bondage. Now, this liberty, though, is far superior because it doesn't change over time. We don't get people coming along and saying, well, you know, it's just different today and it doesn't apply like it once did. It is as precious today as it was to Moses. It's as precious today as it was to Peter and Paul. The glorious liberty of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it time and time again. You're taken from bondage and you're made servants in liberty. We have every liberty. That's one thing we could not do. We're not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And yet in regeneration, he makes us subject to the law of God and indeed can be. <laughs> what is the law of Christ? What is the law that's written on our heart? It is the fact. Something we couldn't do before. We wouldn't even consider it. The word is read. We fuss about it. We say, well, I believe part of that. Let me tell you, once God saves his people, they don't fuss over the word. It's God's word and that's it. doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. Now, I'm convinced God's people will believe it. They will say they don't understand it. I can appreciate that. God does too. But to say I don't believe it, no. That's having the law of God written on our heart. When he speaks, it's his word. 
Romans chapter 8. Glorious liberty. Glorious liberty. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. No more curse. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now, I don't understand all I know about that. But not only was man cursed, but this earth was cursed. And then it goes on to say, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what... Uh, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if ye hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not how to pray as we ought. Look at that verse, though, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered, shall be delivered, shall be delivered, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Delivered to the glorious liberty of the children of God. The church has a position. Delivered to the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, we will do, God said, Christ said, uh, he both wills. Uh, how's that go? Had it on the tip of my tongue. Both uh, to will and to do of His good pleasure. To will and to do. He gives us that ability to will and to do of His good pleasure. All right. Now the church will not suffer loss or be treated less graciously because of our sin. Something, please. The church will not be treated less because of our sin between the time we're regenerated and the time we die. You know why? I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The Lord Jesus will not treat us less gracious because of our sin. He has a purpose to deliver all his people to the Father, and he died for them to give them redemption so he could deliver them to the Father. And our natural innate sin that we have from Adam will not prevent it if it does our sin is greater than God. And it's not. Especially when it was paid for. Alright? The church will not suffer loss or be treated less graciously because of our sin. It will be treated as God purposed to treat His church and that was with love and mercy and grace. And he intended that from the beginning before the foundation of the world and he will not change his purpose. He will give those characteristics and attributes of God 
to all of his children all of the time and present them spotless. That's what he will do. No more curse. In that verse over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 3, it says there, but there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Now, that's kind of the reason that there will be no curse and no sin. Why? Well, when a place is full, nothing else can get in. Now, I'm talking about full. When the kingdom is full of the glory of God, he will prevent all, well, in that last chapter, in verse uh, 27, chapter 21, verse 27, it says, And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth. Why? Because the kingdom is filled with the righteousness of God. It has filled it full. Nothing can permeate that. We have a kingdom that is pressurized, if you please, by the righteousness of God. The only way we can fly at 33,000 feet is we're in a pressurized cabin. Nobody can survive 33,000 feet in a cabin in an airplane that's not pressurized. And if it opens up at that, that uh, there's problems going to happen. We are in a pressurized kingdom. I'm talking here. We're in a pressurized kingdom of the righteousness of God and nothing can permeate it. Nothing can get in. Everything is prevented from getting in that is not according to the righteousness of Christ. He makes his people righteous by his own righteousness and in that kingdom it is so righteous by the righteousness of God that not one sin can enter in. Everything is prevented from entering in that, what's it say? Nothing that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie can enter into this kingdom. God has so permeated, so filled it. He gives us a picture of this over in the Old Testament when they uh, built the, t the temple and it says there the, uh, the smoke that filled that temple. Moses couldn't even go into it. Why? God's in there. He has permeated that whole scene. Inside there is it permeated with the presence of God. Even Moses could not enter into that place. Now the kingdom of God is so filled with the righteousness of Christ that nothing that defileth shall enter in. Now we say, well, we're in the kingdom and I have enough in me to defile it. God in his mercy prevents it ever from entering in. He takes our spirit in, leaves our flesh out in some miraculous way, and we're permitted to be there by the grace of God, and what we are does not change the righteousness of Christ. You put enough hot water in, or, uh, in cold water, you get lukewarm water. That's not happening in the kingdom. Oh, we'll get enough people in there that are sinners and it's going to happen. Oh, no, no, no. The righteousness of Christ has permeated the kingdom to the point that nothing else can enter in. Pressurize you. I just, I just like that. Look with me, if you would, in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God of the Lamb shall be in it. 
There, there. They represent all that's glorious, all that's holy. And their holiness and their glory and their being and their purpose, their grace, their mercy, so fill the kingdom that it prevents anything that would detract from entering in. All right, Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. And the, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart or a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall the waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land spring of water. It's not talking about irrigating some dry desert. He's talking about people. This is what God's going to do to his people. That which looked barren is going to blossom in spring. The, uh, the parched ground shall become a pool, the thirsty land springs of water, in the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. There's going to be plenty of water. What? Uh, water proceeding from the throne of God. Spir every spiritual blessing for his people. And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, the fools shall err therein. What's it say? The way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. This is the highway of holiness. This is the kingdom. This is the entering in. God has such a way to prevent our natural tendencies from rising up killing them, putting away them at the cross. There will be no more curse. And this place is full and nothing can enter in. The kingdom of God is full of the righteousness of Christ. Permeated. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Permeated the kingdom to such a point no one can enter in except those he calls and he has made them after himself. And then the last part of that verse that it says and his servant shall serve him. His servant shall serve him. I am convinced that everyone that God ever saves will serve him. I've had people tell me. I had a grandmother. She made a profession of faith. And for 70 years she didn't serve the Lord. But I know. I went to a funeral, my, my older brother, he made a profession of faith in a Baptist church and joined the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I had a cousin tell me, well, I know where Virgil is now, and I says, where is Virgil? Well, he's in heaven with the other brother that died, and I says, no, he's not. No, no. She was very upset with me. I'd made a judgment. No judgment. He did that. You cannot become... Uh, in a group that denies denies God the very son of God and end up on the right hand every believer of Christ Jesus will serve the Lord that's what he says 
and his servants shall serve him. His servants, free grace has made them servants, taken them from bondage, and placed them in liberty. We're at liberty. Brother D.J. Ward told us about every black person carried a Lincoln penny. Why, when those Lincoln pennies came out, they made them into jewelry. They carried them around their neck. They had them in their pocket. Why? Because this man set us free. This man set us free. This man set us free. Jewelry, Adam, they worshipped that that man, Mr. Lincoln, because he set them free. Well, the Lord Jesus sets His people free, and guess what? We worship Him. We serve Him with gladness. It is not. It's not. It's not hard work. It's a new creature in Christ Jesus, worshiping the Creator. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for plucking me out. Thank you for taking me from. Thank you. Humans, people, do that. Boy, saved from a drowning. Someone plucks us out. Thank you. I'm going to send them a card every Thanksgiving and thank them. (laughs) We thank God saves His people and His people are thankful and they serve Him. Look with me in John 12. John 12. Free grace has made them servants, taken them from bondage. We are really in bondage of sin. We can't think without it. We can't walk without it. We can't sleep without it. We're in bondage of sin. We're in darkness. We're in a pit. We ju- we're just held captive by sin. And he sets us free. Notice here in John. John chapter, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. How does a father honor? How does a father? What? He draws us out of this world. No greater honor than to be drawn, plucked out of the this world. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am in here, in this kingdom, his servants shall serve him with gladness. They're taken out of prison. I heard a message one time that just was just awestruck. The illustration. Barabbas in prison. And he's down there in prison and he keeps hearing these words, crucify him, crucify him. He didn't know that there was someone else up there yelling at it. Just shaking in his booth, crucify him. Here comes the guards, open the gates, come down to get him. Here it is. My time has come. Walked him out, didn't say a word. Soldier on both both arms leading him out. Got him out, got him into the sunlight, turned him loose. We're taken from prison and put in the custody of the Creator. Servants of the Most High God. 
taken from prison and given liberty. Liberty to worship God that we could never worship before. It was impossible to worship this God. We had no heart for it. And he gives us a heart to worship him, to love him, to serve him. And I'm reminded too of those on the on the right hand side when they said, when did we do that? When did we do that? When did we do that? It's not something that we think have to think about. It's something that's done. It's like breathing. It's something that's done. So, what a blessing in this place here. Blessing of the revelation of Jesus Christ. No curse. No curse. Throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. But the throne of God. Why? All that pressurization to keep all that's evil out and his servants shall serve him and verse 4 we'll not deal with this but just read it and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads 